This is the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Brought to you by eeleaders.com. Well, we're back at it again and we're talking about teams. You know, it doesn't take long for you to understand when you're serving Jesus that you need to be a part of the body and you need to have other people come alongside uh, the vision God has told you to be able to accomplish great vision. God has called us to work in teams that we need to be learning from mentors and being invested in, but also passing our faith on and leadership influence onto other people. And we're all different. We all have unique gifts, but not one of us is as smart as all of us. And so we're better together. And the greater the vision, it requires having a greater team. We can't just do things by ourselves and be lone rangers. We're a part of a body. We're a part of a church family, a community, and we are supposed to do things together. So as leaders, we need to work at teams. We need to lead teams. In order to do this effectively, we need to empower the people that are following us. We need to empower others. And so in today's lesson, we have a guest speaker, uh, Pastor Bill Mitchell from Boca Community Church, and he's sharing on this subject of empowering others. Pastor Bill leads a ministry in Boca Raton called Boca League, where he speaks to over 400 plus business leaders every month. It's a business lunch with a purpose. And they're trying to really raise the bar on ethnics and integrity in the business world in our local community. And let me just say this, he's killing it. I love his evangelistic heart, how he's taking biblical principles and getting a ton of people in the room that don't follow Jesus and saying, hey, here's the ways of Jesus. This actually makes a difference in your life, in your family, in your leadership. And that's the beautiful thing. When we talk about leadership, we should be looking to Jesus because he is the greatest leader. And so Pastor Bill is teaching these biblical principles from Jesus' lips to a community, and they're loving it. And if you're local, I would just recommend you check out Boca League. They meet the first Thursday of every month for an hour. It's great food. It's great content. And you can actually go to Boca League bocalead.com to get all the info and even to listen to more talks. And so I asked Pastor Bill if I could share one of his lessons with our community, the EE Leaders community, and he was happy to do so. And so here is Bill Mitchell on empowering others. Welcome to Take the Lead. The content you're about to hear is from one of our Boca Lead events. Boca Lead is a monthly business luncheon hosted at Boca Raton Community Church and taught by Pastor Bill Mitchell. Our desire is that the information you're about to hear will increase your leadership and also raise the bar of ethics and integrity within the business community. So take the handout, grab a pen, get ready to take some notes, and enjoy the video. So, okay, today we're going to look at how to empower people, and we're going to share five ways to empower your people. This comes from a book called The Leadership Challenge by Jim Kozis and uh, Barry Posner. It's an incredible book on leadership. It's one of the seminal books on leadership. Uh, The problem with it is 700 pages long. I'm gonna give it to you in 20 minutes and five points. So you can buy the book and read the 700 pages if you want. It is an incredible book, but you can boil it down to five simple things 
that you can do. And again, you don't have to be the leader of hundreds or thousands or a movement. You can just be a leader who's working with one other person. And I would say this, and I always do, leadership principles work in your home as well. You're a single mother. You're a single father. You're a grandparent now raising your grandchildren. This stuff applies. Not every word, not every nuance, but think about it. Leading people, we do it in the business context, but works all across, and we want to have leaders in this community. So let me give you the first one. It's an easy one. Model the way. This is easy to say. It comes off the lips very quickly. Model the way. Practice what you teach. All these kind of things. Model it. It's a little harder to do. Let me give you an example. In the 20th century, there were two human feats that were thought would never happen. One was the climbing of Mount Everest. And of course, we know that was done in 1953, May of 1953. And the other was breaking the four-minute mile. Now, none of us are old enough to have been there at that time. But in 1954, the four-minute mile was broken. Now, running is an individual sport. We all get it. You run and you name all the great runners, the, you know, Usain Bolt and all the ones through the years, the great runners. Well, they realized there were four runners who were all very close to breaking the four-minute mile. There was John Landy from Australia, there was Chris Brasher, there was Chris Chataway, and there was Roger Bannister. Three of them were from the same amateur athletic club outside of London, and one was Australian. So the three got together and said, one of us is going to, one of the four is going to break the four-minute mile any day, any meet now. It's going to happen. They were like 402, 403. If you can do 402, you can do 359. But nobody would do it. Nobody could do it. So the three guys, the three Brits got together, Roger, Chris, and Chris. They got together and they said, only one of us is going to win it anyway. Let's pick the best one and let's develop a model to figure out how we can, we can break the four-minute mile. Now, we all know Roger Bannister did it in 3 minute 59.4 seconds on May 6, 1954. But what we don't know is they modeled a way to do it. And this is what they did. They figured out Chris Brasher was going to run two laps, four laps back then around the track, was going to run two laps at 59 seconds each. He practiced for six months to run those laps exactly at 59 seconds each and paced it, and he paced it, and he ran the mile race as if it were a half-mile race. Now, he finished the race, but he finished last place. But he knew that if he could pace it and lead the way and model it, then Chris Chataway could do the third lap in a minute. They're more tired now, 59, 59 a minute. And then that would allow Roger Bannister, who was the better of the three, to sprint out and do the last lap. So they picked the location outside of London. It turned months ahead. It and they didn't tell anybody. It turned out that it was rainy and 25-mile-an-hour winds. And Roger Bannister was in medical school, neurology, and he had, um, I don't know what you call it, his internship or fellowship in London that morning. And he still came out 
for the evening. It was a six o'clock run, and they ran it. What was interesting was two very famous people were the announcers. One was uh, Harold Abramson of Chariots of Fire uh, fame, and the other was Norris McWhorter, who was announcing it. And after this race, he was so impressed. He said, people would like to know when things are broken and started the Guinness Book of World Records from this race. So they did it. 59 seconds, 59 seconds, one minute. And then he went around, and in three minutes, 59.4, he broke it. John Landy broke it the next week, and the two Chris's broke it three weeks later. Someone had to model the way, and they figured out that it would have happened, but it might not have happened for a year later if they had not figured out how to pace each other. Well, now, pacing in sports is, is a given. We have pacers in almost every sporting event now, but it was really honed in then, and they modeled it. And now most sports follow a modeling way different than they did, but you got to model the way. And you and I as leaders have to model the way for other people. We can't just say, you go find your way, you go find your way, you go find your way, you go find your way. You've got to model it, and it's the first thing to do. Number two, inspire a shared vision. This is a tough one. This is one we're working here at church on. You know, you share a vision, and then you don't share it for a couple years, and you're, you know, it's like you're, you're so busy. You've got to inspire people. They want inspiration on a shared vision. Let me give you an example. As many of you know, I travel, my wife and I travel all over the world. We go to Africa usually in summer because it's winter in Africa in the summers here, south of the equator, but it's still hot. When I go on a trip to Africa, I pack my bag a certain way with certain clothes in it, very lightweight, very airy because there's no air conditioning and it's hot, not brutally hot, but it's still hot. And so I take my bag, usually bigger than this, and fill it up. And then I come back, and usually we get out a lot of the stuff, but usually leave a few things in your bag. And then the next trip I took, Elizabeth and I took, was this fall to Chicago, where it was 38 degrees. 38 degrees this fall. I had a cold snap when we were there in late October, early November. And so here's the question I asked. Would I take the same things in my bag that I took to Africa to Chicago? The answer is no. Now you take a few things, the toiletries and some of the things that you need in terms of for us shaving, whatever it might be, you'll take those. But I pulled all the things out of Africa and I put all the things for winter in my bags so that I would be prepared. And what we need to understand is everybody that works for you comes to you with a bag full of stuff. Some of it's good, their education, their past, they're the things you want to keep in the bag. But some people bring things in the bag that should be taken out of the bag so that you can move forward. And you have to inspire them with that forward looking so that you can put other things in the bag. Because what happens is the bag gets full They've been in business. They work for this company. Now they're working for this company. You have a whole different set of values, how you work. And so instead of taking stuff out of the bag, they're adding into the bag, right? And you see so many people that are so confused and trying to lug their baggage that they're worthless. And I would say help people see the future, where you're heading, but also help them 
do away with the things that they need to do away with. Not the toiletries, not the important things that they need to have, the undergarments, etc., but the things that don't apply today. If you didn't do that, I mean, I, I was, my office is upstairs. I watch all your cars as you come in. You know, I'm up there. I'm just kind of finishing up. Some of you come early. None of you are driving a 1954 car. You're driving a 2010, 2016, a brand new this. A brand, I'm just watching them. They're fantastic. None of you want to drive something old. You have thrown that off. Even though it takes you to the same place, you chose to change it. But yet in business many times, we're doing the same things we did 20 years ago. 10 years. This is what they taught me in college. It's still good today, isn't it? And you need to push some of that off. You as the leader need to help people do that. And the problem is some don't want it. And so the art of leadership, as Max Dupuy would say, the art of leadership is helping people empty their bag of the things that are not necessary and putting in the bag the things that are necessary. And I would say that's inspiring. If you want to inspire people, that's what you do. Now, there's other things of training and other things of getting them to know your business. And obviously, we have architects here. They've got to have an architectural degree, and they've got to have certain skill sets. But there's a lot of art around our work. And a lot of times, we just say, boy, you've got a great bag. Well, this is for Africa. I'm going to Chicago. <coughs> Fill the bag for Chicago. Inspire a shared vision. Number three, challenge the process. Now, this comes and people go, oh, yeah, I love this one. This is the one I can be negative on. I can tell the boss, the boss's boss, I don't like him. That's not challenging the process. That's being negative. Challenge the process is really looking to see how it can be done better, less expensively, quicker, whatever is important in your industry, but doing it honestly, doing it with inspiration, doing it with competence, those things that they want to see. This is interesting. Um, have you ever used Cleveland Clinic? Cleveland Clinic's a great organization, probably the top three, Mayo, MD Anderson, Cle Cleveland Clinic. They're, they're incredible. Cle a few years ago, about 10 years ago, they were losing clients, patients, whatever the word is, patients. It's a business, so they are clients. Um, and they were losing patients. And so Toby Cosgrove, who is the, the head of Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, was trying to figure out why are we losing? We are the best. Cleveland Clinic used to be the best in lower GI in this area of the body. They were the best in the world at it, and yet they were losing patients. And so they did some focus groups, and they discovered that people said, you're the best, but all you care about are my organs, and you don't care about me. And I'd rather go to somebody who was second best who also cared about me. And so they changed their whole protocols a few years, a year later, that changed it all. And if you go to Cleveland Clinic, you'll notice that there is a humanity side to it. Yes, they are the best technically in some of the, the disciplines, but there's a human side to it as well. I know personally I've done this. I'm tall, not as tall as some people in this room, but I'm tall. And um, most people think being tall, you hit your head. Can I just put that away for a minute? That is a myth. Short people hit their heads because you're never looking where you're going. <laughs> tall people hit their heads once and then never hit it again. 
I knocked myself out once in a door jam, right like that, and went right down. You don't do that too often if you're smart. If you're forward-looking, you're not going to do that. So, but we have problems with knees and shoulders. Knees and shoulders. It's like unbelievable. I've had four knee operations. So I'm at the orthopedic. The best orthopedic in Boca back then, this is a few years ago, so you won't know who it is. He is the best in Boca Raton. Recommended by everybody. Go to him. My insurance guy said, go to this guy. He is the best. So I go to this guy. He's got, with all due respect, he's like, the worst um, bedside manner. I don't think he knew two-syllable words. I've never, I mean, he was four-lettering everything. And so I looked at him, I said, you're the best at this. I said, but you're not touching my knee. So I went to the best in Fort Lauderdale. And I've been staying with him, not that they care, because they do so many operations. But to me, humanity is important. And you know what? To your people, humanity is important. Challenge the process. Whatever is in your industry that has moved you out of really working and helping people and understanding people, maybe you're doing the greatest work in the world, but challenge it ever so slightly because people want to work with people. People wanted to be treated like people. And you could be the best at your industry, but treat people like people and challenge that process. And if you do, you will empower people. It is amazing. Number four, enable others to act. If you're going to lead, you've got to have other people who lead with you, help you. A couple quick examples. Boca Lead. Everybody comes up to me and go, Bill, thank you for Boca Lead. It's the greatest thing. You're wonderful. I go, there's 50 or 60 of us that make Boca Lead happen. All those people in those black shirts, all the people out here, the wait staff, uh, the high schoolers who are here. It's actually probably 75 people that make Boca Lead happen. I just happen to be the fun guy that gets to stand up here and enjoy being with you publicly. But it's 75 people. We have enabled everybody to use their giftedness to make this happen. Do you know what the um, motto of Ritz-Carlton is? It is the stupidest thing I've ever heard but it is so empowering. Ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. Now, do you get that? Have you ever stayed at a Ritz-Carlton? There is a huge disparity between the people that are helping you in housekeeping, the wait staff, the facilities people, and the people that are staying in there. It's like this, isn't it? High status, minimum wage, and yet they have said, it is ladies and gentlemen who are serving ladies and gentlemen. And if you've ever stayed at a Ritz-Carlton, you have never been treated better. Our own Waldorf Astoria next door here that we go to all the time, Boca Hotel, does the same thing. They, I don't know what their motto is, but you go there and you realize they have an incredible sense of empowering their people. We love to do this. Oh, this group's better than this group, and that group's that group, and status, and what kind of car do you drive, and what kind of house do you have, and we just status everything in this world. But if you're going to be a leader, you got to empower everybody. And then when you empower them, great things can happen. The Ritz-Carlton chain is good with its facilities, but they're not over the top, but they are great with their service. With the same people that are being paid and you name the hotel chain you want to name, 
that is giving you nothing. It's amazing. We have a guy that just retired here, a facilities guy named Don Cali, and uh, he could never stand up here. He just, he would die if he stood up here. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant man. What is he brilliant at? Small machines. So uh, he and I go to, went to Haiti, a couple of us, Elizabeth and others, we'll go to Haiti. Haiti runs on small engines, by the way, if you didn't know that. We've got people from Food for the Poor here that work in Haiti. Haiti runs on small engines. So if you know how to fix small engines, you're a king. So we're there, and we're, they don't need people who speak English in Haiti, who can stand in front of hundreds and thousands of people. They don't need that. What they need is people who can s- fix small engines. So we get there, and there's Don, and they say, we got this engine that we need to run whatever, and it's totally broken, and there's 40 guys there, and none of them can fix it. 40 technical, mechanical guys who are there. Don walks in and goes, I can fix it. It was like a theater at a medical school watching these 40 people, and this is the truth. I'm over there with a broom holding onto the broom, watching all these guys. He didn't speak Creole. He didn't speak French. He spoke their language, though. Understanding. The ability to enable somebody to use their gift allows great things to happen because your gift is different than your gift, which is different than your gift. But as a leader, we need to enable each other to use their gifts. We don't all need to be little Bill Mitchells or little name yourself. Because if you had all Bill Mitchells in Haiti, it would be a pretty crummy place. You need to have people who can do it. So I go down and empower people and do things when I go down there, but I'm not in the machine shop. They need pros in the machine shop, but I have enabled people to do that. Now, finally, the fifth one. Encourage the heart. Ultimately, as a leader, we've got to go deeper than just the top physical things that we're doing. Now, I'm going to say something. Those of you who are new don't know me, but I love Boca Raton. I am its greatest proponent. I've got city council members here. I've got chamber of commerce members here. I don't get paid. They get paid to be, love Boca Raton. I love it because this is just where I'm at. I just love this place, have all my life. But can I tell you this? It is one of the rudest places on the planet. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Top 20 rudest, I could pull it out, I won't. It's embarrassing. Top 20 English-speaking cities in the world, rudest. Now, you know there's over 2 million cities that speak English in the world. Not the top 20%, the top 20 cities. Now, of course, Manchester, UK is the worst. We are 12th. We are 12th. Manhattan is kinder. (laughs) Get this one. Northern Jersey is kinder. I don't get that. Boca Raton. Now, here's here's the cool point of this. This is so cool. If you encourage the heart, you will stand out. Because people come to me and go, Boca Raton's so rude. They're so this, they're so that. I go, you don't know the Boca Raton I know. You're just looking on the surface. There are a group of people in this community that love it, that want to make it the best place to work, to play, to raise a family, to worship, to live here. 
And if we continue to encourage people in our workplace, it will come to pass. It's amazing. Just be kind to people. Be compassionate to people. Show a little generosity from time to time, for goodness sakes. And I think we can make Boca Raton the best place and throw off the shackles of this rudeness that people tell us we are. The people in Fort Lauderdale, by the way, always do this. Do your friends say, how can you live in Boca? Right? Because they're so rude. Come to Fort Lauderdale. I go, no, 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 no. This is one great place. And you can make a change here because we encourage the heart. Now, in closing, I want to show you something. little show and tell. Does anybody know what this is? It's a plumb line. It's a plumb line. And no, I don't own this. I had to borrow it because... <laughs> My father taught me how to work from here up, not from here down. So I didn't work with my hands. But what is a plumb line for? A plumb line is to show you what true vertical is. When you look at a plumb line, unless you turn it in, unless I move my hand, then it becomes a pendulum. And this is how a lot of leaders are. Boy, you're that way that today, tomorrow you're that way, the next day that way. Which person has come here today, right? And I would suggest to you that you develop a consistent way in which you lead so that when people come, they see a true vertical. And not some, see, I can't, I can't hold it this way. I mean, I can hold it unnaturally. But because your company, your division, your little group that you have, is based on people, and it's based on you. And if you curve this, the building, and I don't mean it's a metaphor, the building of your company will eventually collapse. You are critical to keep it vertical. And if you keep yourself vertical, now I believe there's a spiritual component to that. I believe there's a family component to that. I believe there's a relational component to that. I believe there's a technical component to that. And there's obviously a business component to that. But we're here just to talk about business today. And I would say if you live a consistent life as a leader, people will follow you, model the way. Well, this week's one piece of advice comes from Pastor Trip Kimball. Now, he shares about as leaders, we should be passing on our faith to the next generation. Again, with this theme of empowering others. This is such an important part of leading and vital to be able to pour into the next generation, to pour on our pour out these lessons that we learned and pass on our faith to others. And I actually did an interview where I got to sit down with Trip Kimball back in episode three of this season called Passing Your Faith On To Others. And so Pastor Tripp, man, he continues uh, blessing and pouring into people through um, books he's written, through um, blogging, through preaching. He also serves on Poyman Ministries where they actually help churches specifically on succession plans and problems and just investing in the church. And you can find out all the information about him at www.word-strong.com word-strong.com. And so I hope you enjoy uh, Pastor Tripp's one piece of advice. You're listening to One Piece of Advice, brought to you by eeleaders.com, a ministry to encourage and equip church leaders.
I'm Trip Kimball. I'm with Appointment uh, Ministries. Uh, I've been a church planner, pastor, uh, including assistant, associate pastor, senior pastor, and I've also been a missionary overseas, uh, primarily in the Philippines, but also in a few other places. One thing that I realized looking back is the people that invested their life and their, their relationship with the Lord in me, their experience as well. And, and it's been a part of my life since the beginning point of, of walking with Jesus. Uh, it was something that was, in a sense, natural. Not natural in, in the sense of it just happened, but it became embedded in me. I realized that God had sent people who invested in my life, who spoke into my life in such a way that as, as I began to study through the scriptures, I uh, developed my own relationship with the Lord and walked by faith, as the Holy Spirit guided me through various phases of life and experience, I realized that it's my responsibility to, to pour that into others. And I've had opportunity to do that. I've had opportunity to do it as a pastor, as, as a youth leader, uh, even as a worship leader. There's a, a, a fairly famous football team that uh, have this, this, this kind of mantra, and that is next guy up. They're always ready for one uh, football player to, to be injured and they have a, a next guy up and they're just they need to be ready to step right in and do the job. Well, that's been something that I learned early on, thankfully. And so it's one of the things I instructed people who had places of leadership, roles of leadership within ministries that I was involved with and leading, is that you need to be raising someone up behind you because you don't know what's going to happen with you. Uh, you know, God may call you on to do something different. Uh, something may happen in your life and, and God uh, moves you on from, a, from that role and places you into a different role or, or moves you on just because you, your time in doing a particular role of ministry is, is complete and now God's calling you on to something different. But do you have somebody that you're raising up? I mean, it's basic discipleship, but it's also something over the last 20 to 30 years, really, that I've seen is lacking within the church in America. It seems like it's been pushed aside a bit or it's been left undone. Perhaps people think it's just gonna happen. It doesn't just happen. It needs to be intentional and obviously it is relational. It's the way Jesus trained up those that he built the church upon. He invested in them. He did life with them, as, as it's said nowadays. And so that really is not just a, a pattern or, or a program. That's a responsibility. And, and so if you're a, a church planner or if you're a senior pastor for many years, or whatever role of ministry you might have, I want to encourage you, this would be my advice, is invest in those that are younger. Invest in a younger generation. Look for people who are attentive. Look for people who are responsive to the Holy Spirit, who, who love the Lord, who love and honor the truth, and invest in them. You don't need to figure out what they're going to do. That's the Holy Spirit's business. That's, that's God's business to determine that for them. But it is our responsibility, every one of us that's in a place of leadership, 
It's our responsibility to invest in others and especially to raise up a younger generation. Thanks for listening. I hope it's an encouragement to you today and uh, God bless you. You know, I am so grateful for the team that God has given me. And I'll be honest with you, I could not do all that I am doing without other people, uh, a part of my team. My team is amazing. And, and part of my team is not just those that I'm leading, but part of my team is those that I'm learning from. People that are mentoring me, coaching me, uh, peer relationships. And I've learned a lot from these people that are sharing from you and have grown in my relationship with Jesus and my leadership because I've included them a part of my team. And so important not only to invest in others, but also to receive from others, to be humble yourself and to ask people questions and to have people invest in you. And so on the next episode, we're going to talk about mentorship and the importance of men mentorship. And I'll be sitting down with my friend, Robbie Christmas, who serves uh, in family church in West Palm Beach, Florida. We, he's shared a one piece of advice, a, um, a three minute message on this podcast so far. And we're just going to sit down and discuss the importance of mentorship, how you become a mentor, how you have mentors and these type of things. And I'm just so grateful for all the people that have been able to pour into me. And I'm grateful for you listening, for me to be able to pour into you. And I pray that these episodes are blessing you. They're encouraging you and equipping you to do things God's called you to do. And they're helping you and your ministry, the things that God has called you to do. And so really looking forward to next episode. God bless and know that I'm praying for you. Thank you so much for listening to this Leadership Lessons podcast. You can watch all the episodes and get all the show notes at eeleaders.com. If this podcast was a blessing to you, I would love for you to share it with your friends on social media. You can find us on social media at eeleaders. You can also help us spread the word by simply writing a review on iTunes or Google Play. My hope for you with this podcast is that it would encourage you and equip you to continue to serve Jesus. Because remember, there's nothing better than doing what God has called you to do.